And so you should have received, if you didn't raise your hand, or we'll see to it that you get a little syllabus that looks like this. Uh, if you'll use this, we, you can track with me kind of in the direction that I'm going. Uh, this is an outline. Normally it's about a six hour outline. We're going to do it in two. So it's going to mean that we're going to move rather quickly. But I do want to entertain questions as we go. Uh, questions, if you heard what I just said there. So points of clarity, uh, points of uh, interest personally to you. Um, I know I'm full of questions about the day and age in which I live. I'm very interested when I'm sitting and listening to somebody speak. Uh, more about what is ha being said, more about what is happening. Uh, I'm just interested in knowing how to develop better my Christian experience. I'm watching people today backslide, if I can use that terminology. I'm watching people grow cold. I'm also watching a tremendous number of people coming to Christ today. And so life seems to be more of an enigma the older I get. Is that just me or is that anybody else here? It's just kind of like it's wonderful on one side and it's just frustrating as I'll get on the other side. It's just kind of a uh, a difficult kind of a concept to entertain. And so follow with me this in just a few moments we'll get started and I'll walk you through. Well, let's walk through it kind of right now. I'll show you where we're headed at least. And that is uh, it, several opening scriptures on page two where it says student notes. And then the five absolutes that I s shared with you this morning. I'll, I'll just touch on those just briefly uh, in a few moments. And then we start with part one below that. Now, we're not going to cover part one, two, three uh, very extensively, but it goes over clear over to part eight. And what we will focus on is part four, preventing disasters. Much of what you will learn, you probably already know. Probably more so, this is a time of affirmation. It's also a time, I hope, that as you run across individuals that have grown cold or individuals that really need uh, instruction that you can use some of the material that we give you this week in order to speak to some of those uh, some of those kinds of people. Also, notice with me that on page four, there's some supplemental material. And again, if we had time, I would go through this. But some of it's pretty much self-explanatory. Uh, the staying strong things to remember in difficult times. If we have a chance to get there, I'd like to go through some of these. But you'll find a number of points. Point one, three things God says to do. Do you see that? Uh, number two, seven things not to do in difficult times. Uh, number three, more things to do. <laughs> Just pointers from the scriptures that help us to focus on what is necessary from the scripture now. Not the do's and don'ts so much as simply, these are guidelines from scripture that help us to stay strong. And then last day's events, bottom of page five, those things that are happening in our day and age, I hope I get a chance to address some of those. Not from the standpoint of encouraging you that Jesus is coming again, because I think most of us in this room have a firm foundation on that. Are you with me on that? You believe that Christ is coming again. Uh, that foundation has pretty much been established in our minds and in our hearts for long periods of time. What I'm concerned about today mostly are Christians who are becoming distracted from what Jesus and who Jesus was about. I mean, very, very clear indication what we were to be about in the world, what he was about. Uh, this distraction is, is short-circuiting a lot of Christian lives today. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, I mentioned one of them this morning. A lot of Christians short-circuited by becoming more politically oriented than they are kingdom-oriented. Now, if you don't understand what I just said, you probably don't have the email. Because my email sometimes is just showing up with all kinds of stuff that I need to get involved in and need to be doing and here and there. And they're all good things. 
There's nothing wrong basically with them. It's simply that when you examine the scriptures, Jesus wasn't involved in them. Paul, Peter, James, John, they were involved in the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. It was all about the kingdom. And uh, that's what I want to stay focused on. Not meaning that I'm not going to become involved in the other things necessarily. I just want to proportion it correctly. I want my priorities to be strong and right uh, in the Lord. And I see it get, some of them getting way, way off base. Frank? Just real quick, just want to let you know that there real loud, Frank, so everybody can hear. Well, I'm here, so. <laughs> so, I want to begin in a minute. I want to share something with you I thought was kind of cute. It's a little boy who wanted $100 very badly and had prayed for weeks, but nothing had happened. Then he decided to write, got a letter requesting the $100. When the postal authorities received the letter addressed to God USA, they decided to send it to the President of the United States. Well, the President was so amused that he instructed his secretary to send the little boy a $5 bill. The president thought this would appear to be a lot of money to the little boy. Now, the little boy was delighted with the $5 bill and sat down to write a thank you note to God, which simply read, Dear God, thank you much for sending the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you sent it through Washington, D.C., and those politicians took $95 in taxes. <laughs> Listen. Uh, we want to make sure that we smile and laugh during the course of the time I'm with you. And not to tell jokes from the pulpit, but a merry heart does good like a medicine. And God's people need to laugh a whole lot in the days ahead. Uh, it's got to be good humor, though. How many agree with me? And so we're going to laugh a little bit from time to time. And so let's get started and get serious with the word. Beginning, page two, top of page two. Finally, my brethren, be strong. Now, that's the way that I would have read that uh, years ago. Be strong. Here's the reason why. When I became a Christian, I became a zealot. I was so on fire for Jesus, I was trying to win people that already knew the Lord. I just didn't know they did. You know, it was a matter of, I was out there for the kingdom, full speed ahead. But I was also a tremendous legalist. And in the process, I lost friends, I lost my children, I lost a whole lot of people in life. Because I didn't understand certain elements. And a lot of it had to do with my ability to perform. Let me, let me, let me say that again my ability to perform. I'm perfectly convinced of this in my research now, that an awful lot of people do not serve God today, not because they don't want to, and not because they don't like this church, or they don't like your pastor, or they don't like you. It's estimated by some, one prominent researcher that 65% of your community right now, and the communities of the United States, have people within them that, do, that know the Lord, and many of them probably, no doubt, with a salvation experience, don't go to church anymore. You say, why? Well, there's always a group out there that got their feelings hurt. They didn't like this, they didn't like that. You know, and you can find that in yourself and in all kinds of people. And I want to say that's tragic in and of itself, but I also kind of feel in some ways grow up. That's just plain life. Don't blame it on God because I'm stupid. And I may say something you don't like. But people do that, and so away they go. The others, though, I believe, and a greater portion of people are not attending, not, not, not uh, assembling with the rest of God's body, simply because they took all of the responsibility to live a holy life upon themselves and couldn't do it. And so why be a hypocrite? 
And it's just so easy not to go to church anymore. And some of you may not know people that are that way. Some of you may have felt that way yourself sometime in the past. And so that becomes a major, major issue. But when you study the scriptures very, very carefully, Old Testament, God was saying, listen, not a matter of just the commandments, but I will write my commandments on the fleshly tables of the human heart, meaning simply that when I visit you by my spirit, you will want to do what's right out of, uh, out of a relationship with me, and it's not going to be a compelling thing. And I want to say, whoa, when I made the switch from one to the other, meaning simply, I mostly, I came to Christ largely because it was good fire insurance. I just, I heard a message on hell, I think, and it was a matter of, it didn't seem like a nice place. And so, although I don't know that I really wanted to go to heaven, because I hadn't much instruction on what that was all about or who God was, I certainly didn't want to go to hell. Does that make sense? How many understand that that gets your attention real quick? But after a period of time of trying to serve God in the power of my own strength, what it amounted to then was tremendous discouragement. Horrible discouragement. And then, of course, when you pray and you don't hear anything from God, then you begin to assume, well, maybe I just wasn't made for it to begin with. And then a host of demon lies really begin to circulate through the human mind. It's at that particular point where, as you discover what the scriptures say now, that hope becomes tremendous. And I wish that we could reach. Uh, this church could reach this culture around us right now that are indicative of the people that I'm talking about. The ones that felt it's just, it's just hopeless to try. And so, finally, my brethren, be strong. Uh-uh. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. It's kind of like when I was growing up. There was a, my best friend in the neighborhood was a little bit older than me, not too much. But the significant thing about Roger is he was a lot bigger than me. And it was quite safe to move about the neighborhood when you got somebody bigger than you. And you know what gangs are really all about? It's the same authority, same security. The more there are of you, if you will, the braver you become because now it's pretty much impossible for somebody to come up against you. And so in the Lord, I can be strong how? In the Lord. But there are some crucial things to understand beyond that. And that is one of them basically that God loves me enough that he'll walk with me. And that becomes an issue. And for some of us in this room, you probably identified that. You can say, right, I prayed and prayed and prayed like the little boy that was praying for $100 and didn't get anywhere. And I was wondering how to send God a letter just to make sure that somehow or another he recognized that I'm here and I'm hurting and I need some help. And so the getting through. And of course, then people like um, Martin Luther and especially the scriptures as he read them, and that is the just shall live by what? Yeah, I want it to be the just shall live by feeling, you know, and it doesn't work that way. And so the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I begin to realize, though I don't feel him, he is really there. I mean, you don't feel it at a particular moment, but all you've got to go sometimes is a couple months down the road, and you begin to realize somebody added some element of strength to my life that I would have not made it through had it not been God doing something in me. And so a very powerful element there. But notice this also. It goes on to say, and in the power of his might. And so, again, we're looking at a relationship with God that brings about a unique element of God intersecting or literally touching humanity. Now, may I suggest this, just as a point of, uh, uh, a point of teaching, and that is that what Paul the Apostle is really teaching here, in essence, is what comes out of prayer. But, see, I have to change my image of prayer a little bit in order to understand that. If I understand prayer 
as just asking God for things and fail to see it as the development of a relationship, then the point here is mute. Because the power of his strength, be strong in the Lord, is in, or as a result of the relationship. It was the fact that Roger was my buddy growing up. God, I don't want to really call him a buddy, but I think that, that in some uh, situations it's good to recognize that you know, there are some things in Scripture that indicate an intimacy that is pretty close to that. Especially when God's saying to you and me, not only call me uh, Father, but call me Abba, Father which the word Abba is basically daddy God. And so the, in, the integration of the lives of individuals, and by the way, uh, we have reason to, to receive this from the Lord on the very fact that there is an element of God's DNA placed in every human being on earth, meaning simply we were made in his image, created in his likeness. I'm not sure that angels can say that. They were created, I'm not sure they were generated, but you and I were generated, meaning simply, there is the capacity of God to touch the human frame, perhaps like any other creation that God has ever had. Or you can look at it from this point of view. The Bible makes it extremely clear that the body of Christ is really the bride of Christ as well. Now, of course, no sexual intent from the scripture, just the usage of a terminology of which ultimately God is saying, I created you for such a high degree of fellowship. There's no other way that I can actually share this with you but to use this illustration. And all of a sudden I'm going, whoa. Because quite frankly, and there's, there's no intent at this moment for any element of humor whatsoever. It's just factual. Marriage, Linda and I have been married 42 years this coming summer. I still don't get it. Now I'm not saying that I don't get you ladies, which I don't. It's just a matter of, this is a relationship so beyond my ability to comprehend, body, soul, and spirit, that I'm constantly and continuously amazed how God has put a man and a wife together. Now, if God is saying, this is the illustration you'll understand best, this thing of marriage, then how far beyond that has God desired for a relationship with humanity? Especially when the scriptures teach that we were made to rule and reign with Christ throughout eternity. Well, let me put it this way. You, my friend, are incredibly important to God. Why don't you think about that? I don't care what your background is, how much sin has ever been in your life. You are incredibly important to God because you were made in his image and in his likeness. And so that intersection of heaven and earth and God actually taking residence, taking up residence in the human spirit is an incredibly powerful, powerful concept. Why? Or do you not know that your body, it's in your notes now, your body is what? The temple of the Holy Spirit who is where? In you. Whom you have from God, and you are what? Not your own. Yeah. I like that concept. I, really, I didn't like it when I first got saved. And one of the reasons for it is simply, I'm not sure how, well, how close I wanted to get to God because I wasn't quite sure what he would do with me if I really got close. You know, if I really, 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 really gave my life to the Lord when I got saved, then he would call me to be a missionary in Brazil and I'd have to eat monkey brains. I mean, how many have ever thought, if you're, how many have had young thoughts like this, as a matter of you're not quite sure what God would do with you? Or in a real bad scenario, he, he would make me like some of the other Christians around me and in church, and I really, really don't know if I want to be like that guy or that person over there. You know? And so there's all of these... But here's the thing that's helped me to stay strong. 
And that is, I stayed in the word regardless of the situation. And here's the situation. All of my preconceived ideas about Christianity was, plus the attack of the enemy against my mind. Just casting down arguments had no concept. Nobody talked about that. Taking every thought the Bible says into what? Into captivity. Not letting my mind run wild with ideas of what may or may not be. How many are learning to kind of take the thought captive? It's a matter of you're just not going to walk on it if ultimately you're not sure that it's true. And that has to be a part of our lives because we as human beings assume and assume and assume and assume and assume. And sometimes when you add all the assumptions up over a period of time, you begin to realize almost all of them weren't true, never came to pass. But I certainly don't want those kinds of assumptions to become self-fulfilled. I know of a man right now. I've been working with him for years. Uh, Somewhat of a wealthy man, influential man. But in the back of his mind, from a small child, he felt that he would someday be destitute and have to live kind of under a bridge somewhere. That's what he thought. And it stayed with him all through life. Just, you know, someday I'm going to be destitute. This guy has got more money than I ever thought of having. Just, I mean, a tremendous amount of money. I remember one day he gave me, just a touch, basically, there's no joke, a gold nugget was bigger than what I could put in my hand. It's just some of the playthings that he had. Today, he's got, he's down, he's almost destitute, comparatively to what he, he, say why? Because of a self-fulfilling prophecy that he allowed simply because he wouldn't cast the imagination down. And I talked to him about it again and again and again and again, about the self-fulfillment elements of it. And one thing about this man is that he wanted God, but he would not come to church. He had some bad experiences with church and some other things, and he would not. So he wasn't assembling himself, and he still won't today. Here's the thing. I have found a great deal of help from you as the body of Christ. So How? Every once in a while, somebody will come along and say something. Somebody will send a letter, a note, a scripture, whatever. How many of you just felt encouraged sometimes by somebody what somebody did? Uh, I've talked already to about three people today, four maybe, that, and there was more that, uh, but I mean, really encouraged me today. You say, have you been, are you discouraged? No, I'm not discouraged, but I have the slightest idea who some of you people are. And you scare me half to death. And then somebody comes up and they shake my hand and they love me. And I've really felt good today in terms of, uh, this has been an easy assignment today and I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be like. What what, what are you saying, Ray? I'm saying the the body of Christ by and large is a very, when, when, when people know Jesus, they're very gentle, kind people. I want to be with them regardless of their idiosyncrasies, regardless of the fact that we fail one another and we will continue to do that and I just have to be aware. There will be struggles in the body of Christ. Just don't forsake because that's what Hebrews chapter 12 teaches us. To, to, to don't go away from it. What, is it. what does it mean to finish well? Well, what, what I'm kind of trying to say is, right here is that although the strength of the Lord belongs to us, it does not allow us the right to be passive. And one of the hardest things in Christian experience is how much do I do and how much does God do in my life? And trying to figure out, do I make the decision or do I wait until I'm sure that God is telling me what to do? Anybody ever been there? And then, yeah, do I have the right to make some decisions on my own? You know? Well, that's a tough question. 
So the sovereignty of God and the free will of mankind always clash in theology. It's the number one theological problem that has existed since Jesus. And you find it in people that, uh, you know, some people believe that uh, some are meant to be saved and some are meant to be damned. You'll find other people that believe other things. It all comes down to the free will of, God, free will of man and the sovereignty of God. And that's an issue that you have to work out with God. Now, what I felt initially as a Christian, and one reason I was perhaps a little reluctant to really get started, is that I had to do only what God told me to do. I couldn't do anything else. So if God didn't tell me to do it, I didn't have the free will or the right to make a decision. So if my day off is on Monday, you know, could I go fishing? I'd have to find out from God whether I can go fishing. And that's bondage, my friend. It gets you in trouble in a short period of time. And one reason for that is simply God gave us a tremendous amount of free will because he didn't want us to be robots. And it's hard to work through those kinds of things. You say, but Ray, are you open to the fact that God may change his desire on Monday and you won't go? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a different issue, though. That ultimately I'm open to do whatever God will wills. And if he wants to change where I'm headed right now, absolutely. No problem whatsoever. So I'll make the decision. I'm going, and I know basically what I'm going to do on Monday. I'm going to go do, have some fun with a friend of mine. We're going to go probably hiking in the hills or do something like that. But if God wants to change it, that's fine. Now, the legalism of this is what really crushes a lot of people and makes it hard for them to serve the Lord. Legalism will kill you. I'm not talking about the propensity towards holiness and righteousness, but man-made concepts that are not really biblically founded. I remember the story of a guy who used to, uh, he felt that he couldn't do a single thing in life unless God told him what to do. And so every day he'd stand in front of his closet and ask God what God wanted him to wear that day. Now here's the thing you can appreciate about that, even though it's legalistic. You can appreciate the heart of a person that's like that. Understand where I'm coming from? I love the tender, sensitive person that ultimately would even consider that. Every day he'd stand in front of his closet and he'd pray, Lord, what would you have me to wear today? Well, one day God did speak to him. He said, I'm your father, not your mother. Get dressed. <laughs> Heart issue? Absolutely. And so what? Uh, yes, I also strive. Paul said, being, this being so, I myself also, also strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and man. And so he was working out his own salvation and not sitting back passively, if you will. And then, of course, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to do what? You walk worthy of the calling. It's just now to understand that the walking aspect has got to be integrated with the concept or idea that God will help me along the line because I'm not capable of doing it upon my, on my own. And then the five absolutes that we were talking about. If you don't like the word absolute, you can put some other word in there. But I wasn't sure just exactly of the word, but I wanted to make this as powerful as I could possibly be. And these are things that cannot be. Adjusted. These are things that cannot be left out. I need to be getting to know God on a regular basis, a continual, constant element of knowing him. Philippians 3.10, if you want to write some scriptures down, Paul the Apostle said that I may know him. Paul's not talking about the salvation experience, Philippians 3.10. He is talking about a continual walk with God that is helping him to get to know his creator. Now, I dare say this, and that is almost in a question. How many of you right now would say, I, I really believe, Ray, I know more about God today than I knew about him a year ago? You better, because that's growth. Or probably a lot would say, I, I know more about him today than I did a month ago. 
There's days when I want to say, I feel like I just got saved. I know more about him right now than I knew yesterday. What is that? That's the impact of the Holy Spirit upon us, helping us to grow and to mature in him. But all the growth and maturity, ultimately, that God wants for us happens to be in the knowledge of him, getting to know Jesus, that I may know him. So a biblical view of God. Number two, understanding our own personal makeup. Did that make any sense this morning? I need to understand, and I didn't mention both of the problems that I told you that come out of Genesis chapter 3, but I did mention one. Adam finds that he's full of fear. You, you remembered, yeah. Full of fear. Number one problem, first problem. You know, I'm just curious this, this afternoon. I don't know that any of us know what the answer to this is. But what would it be like to go through one 24-hour period with no fear. I'm talking about Phobos fear. I'm not talking about the fact that if you drive 100 miles an hour, your spouse is driving 100 miles an hour, you're, it's going to scare you pretty good. You know, I'm afraid of fire and rattlesnakes and stuff like that, but that is a different kind of fear. But what would it be like without fear? Now, let's get the subcategories. Anxiety, depression, discouragement, low self-esteem. Loneliness. Or what about even rejection as a form of fear? What would it be like to go through 24 hours? I haven't the clue. Because there's always something tearing at the human soul to somehow or another try to invade your space and mine with some subcategory of this thing called fear. That's what makes us so miserable. So what was Adam and Eve like before the fall? Or what were you and I created to be like that ultimately we will be like in the days ahead? I don't know, but I'm kind of anxious to see what it's about. Every once in a while, I have a day that seems to be along that line, where I'm so absolutely relaxed. You know, and I, I, I don't know how to say this, because I, I don't want to appear to be strange, but every once in a while, I, I don't know, I, I could wander out here, and just some of this brush or whatever is over here, and there's days when the smells are much more pleasant than at other times, or you hear the birds clearer than you've heard them before, or it seems like the temperature is a kind of a place where it's just perfect. And I go through that very often. I did the other day, though. I was just driving to a meeting, and I just thought, Lord, this is pretty incredible, just your peace in this truck as I drive. And it was just kind of awesome. What was I don't know what it's going to be like, but we were not created for fear. The other problem in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam picks up because of his rebellion is arrogance. Arrogance. And boy, that's probably the worst of the two when you were to get down to it to destroy spiritual life. Because the more knowledge I got as a young pastor, young person, uh, the more arrogant I became. And if somebody had said, Ray, you, you know, you're a pretty arrogant person, I'd have said, you're out of your loving mind. I'm one of the most humble people on the face of the earth. Now, I thought I was humble because of, of kind of sometimes the great element of, uh, what do I want to say, uh, humility that is necessary to submit yourself to God. And because I had made the decision to submit, I thought that was ultimate humility would cancel out all the arrogance. And then, how many have ever had the Lord speak to you and say, you know, a little bit of self-pity, Ray? Or maybe God saying, no, let me say that over again. whole lot of self-pity. A lot, you know, and all gentle because God has only a desire to pull it out and never hurt his kids. That's kind of like my little boy right now. He's a year old, my grandson, 
And I'll tell you what, there's no thought in my heart ever that I would ever hurt that boy any way, shape, or form, and especially that I'd never hurt him emotionally. Are you with me? Now, the same love for you and me from God is much, much more refined than that and extremely more powerful. So why do I feel the way I do? Because of Adam's sin that has affected you and me. It's just hard for us to believe that the amazing thing about God is that he first loved us. And so understanding ourselves, understanding my limitations, understanding how much I uh, have a propensity to fail if I'm not careful, just all kinds of things. And knowing the enemy. Anybody want to question any of this? That's the second one, the enemy. Anybody have a question concerning the enemy? We have a number of books on the book table. Try to help people to get caught up if you don't already understand uh, the unique element of literally, I don't know how to, how to say it, a race of people, a group of people, you can even call them people, but demons are not some figment of human imagination. They're not concepts and they're not ideas. They're real individuals is probably the word to say. And they're loose on planet Earth. And, and kind of a unique troubling element of it goes back to free will and sovereignty is that uh, how do we understand such words as the enemy saying to Jesus in Luke chapter 12, Jesus, if you will fall down and worship me, I will give you all of the kingdoms of this world, for they are mine, and I give them to whomsoever I will. And he knew he couldn't lie to Jesus because of who Jesus is. And of course, then Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth itself is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Or in 1 John 5, 19, the scripture says, that the whole world lies under the influence of the enemy of our soul. I don't want to say, that's pretty powerful. Now, sitting in this church or standing in this church, pretty easy not quite to understand that because now we're talking theologically, practically concerning our Christian experience. All I have to do is get in my car and drive someplace out there to some particular all I have to do is drive on a freeway, and it's not long you begin to realize people do things that are indicative of being under the influence of somebody besides God. Just so many sad situations that have been in the news lately. And I don't even want to talk about them, but you're probably aware, as I am, just uh, the murders that have taken place and so many other things. You wonder, how can people do that? I can tell you how they can do it. They can do it because they're not under the influence of Jesus. And that's what makes all the difference in the world. And then number four, perceiving correctly the world, the world in which we live, that's what I'm talking about. Number five, recognizing how God has formed the church. Uh, there's a certain element of arrogance that is attached to an individuality that basically says this. I know as much as my pastor does, or I, and I want to say, hold on, wait a minute. It's not how much you know. It's whether God has ordained you to be a leader or not. I hope you're listening to me because I'm going down a real tough road today. And that is that nobody can take the place of your pastor in standing in this pulpit unless God tells them to do so. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church. And a lot, a lot, a lot of people get angry sometimes and out they go to start a church in their own home. And I want to say, you don't do that. God has placed each of us in the body as he sees fit. I've never, ever told God where I was going to church. You say, what do you mean by that? It's a matter of the Lord knows my gifts and he knows my talents and he knows where he wants me to function so that I can be of maximum effect to influence his body. And so I've, I've gotten angry. Well, I got so angry at my pastor recently. I sat in a congregation thinking to myself, well, if that's the way my church is going to act, I'm out of here. 
Now, I don't want you to raise your hand right now to tell me that you've ever thought that because your pastor is sitting in a place where he can see your hand when it goes up. But I, I want to ask the question, and don't anybody raise your hand. Anybody have ever felt that way? It's a matter of, oh, you just get kind of irritated with what's going on. I was so irritated. I was thinking of leaving the church. And I sat in that service for half an hour, not even able to participate in the, in the song service because, much because of what was going on. And I was just blistering. How many get blistered like that every once in a while? Boy, it's going to be an email to this person, and you're going to confront that person. I'm so glad I didn't say a word. Say why? I'd have stuck my foot in my mouth so big. I was wrong. I didn't know it at the time, but when I heard what was really the truth, I'm going, so good. Right now, I didn't say a word. I am feeling like a billion bucks. All right, you ready for the next part? All right, here we go. Part one. Growing in excellence and in character. I'm not so sure, folks, that there's a lot of things that God says in his word that you and I can do. I think some of them we have to pray that God will do in us. I hope that made, us, made sense, meaning simply we will do it. But I found five things that have been extremely helpful as I've watched Christians grow. Those who have the fear of the Lord seem to be closer to the Lord and mature faster. Say, so, Ray, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, first of all, the word fear, translated from the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic into the English, oftentimes is not a good word, not at all. Because the fear of the Lord has nothing to do with dread. It has to do with respect. It's kind of like the word love, translated from the, from the original languages into the English, Horrible translation. Horrible translation. So I come to the Lord. I was a young guy. And I come to God, and he, he, you know, all of a sudden I see the Bible, and I think, well, this is just a list of commands. And I'm going, okay, here we go. Let's try it. 6,400 commandments in Scripture. I can't remember hardly a half a dozen things. And now I'm confronted with 6,400 plus commandments. So I want to be a Jew. Let's knock this baby down to 10. If Sammy Davis Jr. could become a Jew, I'm going to become a 10. Just, a Jew, just you know, 10 commandments, that's it. No more than 10, I can handle 10. How many can handle 10 with me, you think? And then you start to handle the 10, and what happens? It just kind of all goes awry. And then Jesus comes 2,000 years ago, and he said, really not 10. And this is not to displace the dynamics of the 10, because we're responsible for them. But what he says, in essence, is all of the ten can be condensed into how many? Two. What are the two? Love God and love others. Okay, so now picture this as a brand new Christian. All of you are mature Christians. And I come to your church, and I'm coming in, and basically you go through all of this with me, and you say, Ray, down to the end of it, it's really two, and it's relationship-oriented. Love God and love others. And I'm going... Love God. I don't know what that means. I have the slightest idea what that means. How can I love somebody I don't know? And how can I love others when, man, it's hard to even like you guys? Anybody see where I'm going? All right, now let's change it into the proper word, though. The word love, more correctly translated, is the word respect. So God is saying, Respect me and respect, and all of a sudden I'm going, I can do that. 
No trouble. From the beginning of my relationship with God and my beginning of my relationship with God's people, I now can do that. I can respect him, and I can... Do you see what I'm talking about? Because all of a sudden, the emotional element is taken out of it, and the responsible element is put into it. And they were responsible commandments, responsibility commandments. And so... When I learned that, it's a matter of, okay, Lord, I can respect you. You say, how do you respect him? I stay in his word. I stay in prayer. I, I learn fellowship because you have to learn fellowship continuously. Um, can you say, Ray, you love the Lord? Yeah, I, I can say now, I can use the English word as well as the original word. Because the more I've got to know him, the more I feel akin. And there is that family-oriented love relationship that is there. It's really there. But can you see from the original or from the initial element of your experience how, keep that in mind when you're trying to get somebody interested in Jesus. It's got to be the word respect. Now, can I respect people? Absolutely. That's an act of my will. I don't have to like them. I don't have to even want to look at them. Can I respect them? You bet. And I will do that. And I'll do it from my heart, meaning simply, I'll shake your hand, and I'll be as friendly as I can possibly be, even though I may have something that is hurting right there. I can do what God asks me to do. And you know what I usually find? Is if I will respect people, I learn to love them after a period of time. Because their idiosyncrasies that may have offended me are no different than my idiosyncrasies that may have offended them. And all of a sudden you begin to realize, it's not as hard to forgive as you, as you realize when you understand the foundational elements of these things. Oh, how about this one, aware of God's presence? Who was it? Uh, Brother Lawrence wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And I think it was born out of the fact that in his church, in his relationships with God's people, there's always this element of we go to church to meet who? We meet God. And he thought, yeah, but I can also be with God during the course of the day. And so he used to wash dishes, I think, in a restaurant. It was a matter of, uh, I can be in God's presence right here, God's presence. And so you learn to practice the presence of the Lord. And most of us, I think, in the room probably do that. But it's a wonderful thing to keep in mind. God is with me because he lives within me in my spirit. He touches my spirit. I can communicate with him. I can whisper to him. I can call upon him 24 hours a day. Wonderful. A heart after the heart of God. I think I have to pray that one. I wrote a book, and I don't have it with me because it's out of print. It's called Create in Me a Clean Heart. When I was a youth pastor over 30 years ago um, or so, when I left that uh, position, uh, my kids made me a beautiful big plaque, about so big, carved plaque. And it simply said, well, actually, this one said that I may know him. But the two favorite verses of Scripture were that I may know him and then Create in Me a Clean Heart. I proposed that to Thomas Nelson Publishers because I write for publishing companies and they bought the concept pretty much just like that. So yeah. And so I wrote the book, it's hardback, came out a number of years ago. It's still the prayer I pray, probably more than any other prayer I pray. Psalm 5110 is what it is. And it's a matter of Lord creating me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. I want the spirit of Jesus on me. I want the spirit of the Lord upon me. And then inquiring of the Lord. Well, I'll tell you what, even though uh, I may not have to ask God whether when I buy a car, what color to buy, or when I buy a shirt, what color to buy, and all of that stuff, but there's so much more things that I'm talking to God about today. How many have found that? It's just that after you talk to him for a while, it just gets down to almost everything, you know, and I don't feel embarrassed about it. I just wouldn't encourage somebody else to fall into bondage because they're not 
kind of in that uh, arena, if you will, of relationship. And then watching out for the little things. It's the little foxes, the Bible says, that do what? Spoil the line, yeah. Uh, a little bit of anger, a little bit of unchecked, uh, something over here, and all of a sudden I'm a mess after a short period of time, uh, especially with food. Now, I'm not trying to be facetious by any means, but I have diabetes. And every once in a while I let my diet go unchecked, and I pay for it big time. I mean, literally big time. And so a personal thing that helps me to recognize, if I check my diet, I'm pretty pretty good shape. If I don't check it, I'm a mess after a period of time. Let's go through one more and then take a little, not so much of a break, but a little bit of a, uh, a, time, uh, a time off for a moment. Uh, part two, the, the anatomy of a, uh, a prevailing courage. Uh, part six. Now, this is a real, real tough one right now because it's almost akin to saying uh, what we really need is a periodic uh, New Year's resolution. I don't make New Year's resolutions. I say, why? I don't want the guilt of failure. So I don't make them. Neither, pretty much the right to. But when it comes to my own personal experience with God, the whole element, if you will, of my spiritual life, I want to make a determination and a commitment to Jesus. It's saying, really, Lord, with your help, I want to make, I'm going to go through this. Now, I'm not talking about salvation only. I'm talking about I'm going to go through this without offending somebody else's life, without hurting and so forth. And I have the propensity to do that. I do it every once in a while. Lord, I am determined to finish this race one way or another. I'm going to go through it. But then with a realization, Lord, you're going to have to do a major part of the help that is necessary. And I'm letting him do that. I'm letting it be Christ in me, the hope of glory. Now, already we've talked about we still strive, we still move forward, we still do things. Number seven, clean heart and right spirit, just talked about that. Um, I think those are good, uh, ref that's a good refrigerator scripture. Good refrigerator scripture, yeah. Just write it out on a piece of paper and put a magnet on it, put it on your refrigerator. Psalm 5110. Every time you pass it for a period of time, just say, Lord, ditto. Lord, create me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. And do you see what I'm teaching right now? I'm teaching dependence upon Jesus is what it really is. Learning to be dependent upon the Lord. Because the moment we're not dependent upon him, then we take the responsibility on our own shoulders, and that can be a big, big blow when we find up, wind up failing. And then staying strong, uh, resisting temptation. Probably everyone in this room have varying degrees of temptation. And I'm not just talking about a... Uh, chocolate-dipped uh, ice cream cone. See, my temptation is that I want one, and it's probably all right for me to have one today. I want three. Or what about this? The temptation to access the Internet in places I ought not to be, and especially pornography. It's a matter of you don't do it. You just don't do it. I, some of you girls may be saying, well, you know, we know you guys shouldn't do it. Do you know... It's probably more so, a pornography, more so a problem with women in America than it is with men. So what do you mean by that? Because m most of you gals probably don't care to go look at a picture, but that's not necessarily indicative of pornography. Because soap operas are pornographic. You don't have to have a picture, which I have to do with something that moves you 
to a place of licentiousness or lasciviousness. And what that means is creating a mental picture of what you think life could have been or should have been and would like to have that back. And I want to say, uh, you can't go down that road because you'll destroy relationships one way or another. How many want a little bit more information on what I'm talking about? Okay. Soap operas are pornographic. You know what I'm talking about? As the stomach turns, general sickness, one wife to give. I'm, I'm not kidding you. You get to the core of them. Or romance novels. Now, I'm not talking about a Janet Oaks wonderful ride off into the sunset with a person of your dreams. Because I think some of those are, 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 there's good intent behind some of those. I'm talking about that stuff that really leads to something that could be disastrous because it is wrong to begin with. And most of us know that almost everything on television right now points to some element that is contrary to the scripture. An illicit relationship here, a little bit of stuff there and so forth. And uh, it's so blatant out there today. It just is right for me anyhow, uh, just not to give it the time that will wind up hurting me one way or another. And to me, that's not being legalistic. I, I, don't, I don't know that I want to preach that so much, is that I want to hope that the Holy Spirit becomes strong enough in you to basically say, you know, I understand where Ray's coming from. I just don't want this junk in my life either. You know, it's just a matter of, it's just not necessary if I'm really interested in growing in Christ and not make it a legalism. And then one more, is recognize signs of difficulty. Now, I'm going to talk about three parts of our being that we need to do that in. Part number one is the body. Part number two is the soul. Part number three is the spirit. Basically, we can come to a trichotomy, and if you don't like that, a dichotomy approach is okay with me. But really, we need to consider three elements of how God put us together, body, soul, and spirit. Paul, the apostle. First Thessalonians 5.3. First Thessalonians 5.3. Here's what he says. He says, basically, let me kind of... Um, verbalize what he's, what he's saying in, a, in a, a decent sort of a way. He's basically saying God put us together, spirit, soul, and body. Or Hebrews 4.12, incredible verse of scripture. It says, for the word of God is quick, it's sharp, it's powerful. And then it talks about being powerful like a sword or a knife. Able to do what? Able to, the word is able to do what? It's able to divide the soul from the spirit. Because it's so powerful, God's word can do that. Meaning that the inward part of me has two parts. It has one part of soul, one part of spirit. Or Genesis 2 7. 523. Now, by the way, um, everybody look up this way. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of rattling scriptures off. If I give you a scripture like Ephesians 2 5, and you go home and look it up, and it's not the right verse of scripture, turn the numbers around because I'm dyslexic, I think. And look up Ephesians 5, 2. Is that all right? If it's still not the right verse of Scripture, then read all of Ephesians 2 and all of Ephesians 5 because you'll find it. It is in there somewhere. Okay, Genesis 2, 7. God took man from what? The dust of the earth, body. And breathed into him the breath of life. And man became a living Soul, body, soul, spirit. Now, if you don't like the terminology, I hope you like this part. And that is simply, I need to take care of my body. Uh, I had for a long period of time an upset stomach, especially when I go to bed at night. 
And so I was investing in uh, Pepto-Bismol. And then I learned that you could solve most of that with diet. And so I started on the dietary thing, and believe it or not, I seldom have an upset stomach when I go to bed if I pay attention. My body was saying something is wrong down here. Uh, when, you, when you've got a headache, when you've got this, your body is signaling you. Is that fair enough? All right, everybody knows that. When it comes to the soul, though, you need to let your body signal you. Because if worry, now a certain amount of worry is pretty normal, or not right necessarily, but normal for life. But if it's getting to the point where it's beginning to crush you, and it's beginning to immobilize you, your, your, your soul is saying something. Something is wrong. Anxiety, the same thing. And so when I started to get pushed into this, nobody had ever taught me what I'm ta- telling you right now. They never said your soul is signaling you something is radically wrong with what's going on in you. Here's what I found, and it was my mind. I was listening to the imaginations that I was telling you about before and letting them run rampant. Now I cut them off. The Bible says casting down what? Imaginations, and so I do it. And amazing, just hardly any of that stuff there anymore. Now, I do admit this, and we won't get into it. There's a clinical aspect of what I'm talking about today, and I do think it's legitimate. And that is that there are times that the human mind, for one reason or another, is not operating correctly. I don't know whether it has to do with microwaves. I'm being a little bit facetious right now, or our diets today are just what it is. But I do know that there's a clinical aspect of it that needs to be dealt with. But what about the spirit? You say, well, first of all, I know this. I know how to strengthen my body. Keep it correct. Say, how do you do that? I need good air. Now, I'm not trying to be facetious. I just need to, you know, I just need to have good air. <laughs> I need water. I need food. I need rest. I need relaxation. I need good sleep. My body needs sleep. And boy, I pay attention to that one big time. But my soul also needs something. You say, Ray, what does your soul need? My soul needs to stay away from negativism, bitterness, and criticism. I need to stay away from those things. It's one of the reasons why, if you're negative, bitter, or critical, I will be your friend. But we will not go camping together, unless it's a missionary tour. But if I'm going to go out there and I'm expecting to just rest and relax, and you're a negative person, you will not go with me. Because when I'm resting and I'm trying to get back, built back up again, I don't need somebody to knock me down constantly. And the problem is, is I have relatives. And boy, I get, I get around my relatives and it's just negative, 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 negative. The world is so bad. I'm hurting so bad. This and that and so forth. And I want to say, you know, most of us are in that boat every once in a while. I just don't need it again. I got an email from a guy the other day, just all of a sudden, he rattles on for a period of time, and it sounds good, and then all of a sudden right back into where he happens to be that's so negative after a period of time. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? Well, then don't be that. Don't be that. If you're complaining about not having friends, I can tell you why you don't have friends if you're negative. Because people can still love you and absolutely adore you, but cannot handle a negative spirit. And so the guy I'm thinking about right now, love this guy, because he's my brother. But if I'm around him a very long period of time, it's just a matter of everything goes into the tube. And it's all just a recycle of all the junk that we've talked about down through the years. And I want to say, 
I can be around you and I love you and I will, but I, I've got to have a breather and more than just a breather sometimes. I'm not sure I know a scripture for it, but... Oh, you're talking about, yeah, it's in Proverbs. Yeah, it's, I'm pretty sure it's in Proverbs, what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, that's pretty hard to do, especially if you're married to that person. Yeah, especially married, yeah. Yeah, it, these are not easy principles sometimes, but I think if we will commit ourselves to the fact that they are biblical principles, then God gives us the ability to go through them. We need Isn't it too that instead of because I feel guilty when I step away from that, from a relative who's very negative, and I feel guilty that I'm not uh, being a good example, like Terry and I were talking about that too. And you feel guilty, but then Jesus says let go of it and pray for that person. Yeah. Well, I want to make sure you understand this. I will minister to people like that. I'm their best friends in some cases, I'm close. All I'm saying is that has a tendency to wear so heavy on the rest of us that we have to back away. But then what happens, though, is when we start to back away, after a period of time, these people get a hold of that. And they think, now they think it's rejection. And I want to say, I'm not rejecting you. I'm rejecting whatever spirit, has, I'm talking about a demoness, but whatever spirit or attitude that's got in you. And you must understand that people can only handle so much negativism and the reason for that, folks, is you don't have to drive five minutes down the road or you don't have to listen to 30 seconds of television or you don't have to, and what I'm talking about is you can be discouraged in a short period of time if you want to be. Meaning simply all of us are affected by what we're talking about. Every single one of us. And after a while, I would say most of us in this room, we wouldn't be here if we weren't looking for a little bit more hope from the scriptures. I hope you're not looking for hope from me. There's got to be hope from the scriptures, hope from God. I need more hope today, folks. So when somebody comes along and it's a negative thing, I want to go, <laughs> you know. And even, and how can I say this? Because I, uh, I I, at this point, I really don't want to offend anybody. When I'm preaching the gospel, if the word offends you, that's your problem. But my interpretation of the word or my particular belief systems, if they offend you, then that, I've got a problem. But I have trouble with a lot of the ultra right-wing mentality that's out there today. The extremist is what I'm talking about, because all you have to do is listen to him for a short period of time, and the sky is falling. No, 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 no. The sky's already fallen. You know, and there's nothing we can do to reverse this kind of a thing, and I want to go, hold, hold, hold on, wait a minute, hold on. I understand what you're saying and the responsibility we have as Christians, but still, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. And the Bible says I'm to pray for the king. And so I, I look at the different elements of scripture and I get a tremendous amount of hope at that time. Doesn't relinquish responsibility, if you will, but it heightens my ability to take hold of this because I know that God is still in control. God is still, God is, that's what it amounts to. And I have great hope for uh, the days ahead. 
My personal belief is, is this. It has been so hard for us as pastors and so hard for you as kingdom people who have tried to witness and testify over the last 25 years in America that it's just plain discouraging to try to bring people to Jesus. It's hard. Here's what a lot of us believe right now is that when you get into a difficult time politically and economically, it has always come back as a way that God uses difficult times to bring people's attention back to him. And I can't help but believe that probably those doors right back there are going to see a huge number of people come into this building in the days ahead. Because I'll tell you what, according to scripture, things aren't going to get any better for the world. They're going to get better for Ray Beeson. I'm anticipating that. Doesn't mean that I'm not going to go through a lot of stuff. They're going to get better for you as God's person because God will protect us in the midst of whatever comes across this nation. He always protects his people in the middle of it. Doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle and and have trouble paying what? I hope it doesn't hit almost five bucks a gallon because Linda and I go on the road right soon. (laughs) Last year we were paying $4.69 a gallon to travel to preach for Jesus. And I'm kind of going, Lord, couldn't you just lower that a little bit this year, you know, when we go back on the road? And so, Pastor, would you come and, and uh, do whatever you're going to do? Or are we just going to take, no, we're not going to take a break. You're going to take. Question. question is, is can you define the the difference between the soul and the spirit? Well, yeah, no. And I'm not being facetious. The Bible says that it is the only source for the division. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. It says the word is quick, sharp, and powerful to make the distinction between the two. But I think, though, that I can share with you, I would hope, sufficiently enough that you would understand what I'm saying. So most of us understand the body over here. If I put the body here, the soul here, and the spirit over here, you understand the body. We need to take care of the body. Good food, exercise, all of that kinds of stuff. I mean, you know. What, What about the soul? I was alluding to elements of the soul, which, by the way, from the scriptures now, the Bible indicates there are four distinct elements of the spirit, you say, or I mean of the soul. You say, how do you know that? Uh, by the Greek and the Hebrew. They are the will, the ability to choose, the mind, the ability to think and reason, and the emotions, the ability to sense and feel. Will-minded emotions. Now, here's something curious to consider, and that is that when uh, Adam sinned, the whole scenario here got turned upside down. For instance, the spirit, which I'll talk about in a moment, is meant to control the soul. The soul is meant to control the body. Adam sins, and what happens? The body controls everything after that. It's a matter of if I'm hungry, what do I do? Whether it's right or wrong, I go to the refrigerator and see my problem is not eating. My, my problem is, what, what is the word? Uh, there's a word, I hate this word. Moderation. Where are you at? Come on, where are you at? You start eating ice cream and you know one dish will probably do you, so what do you do? See, when I get to, be, when I get to three, my wife is already saying, you know what it's going to do to you. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't really care. 
Because. Hot fudge and nuts oh, and whipped cream. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me finish this and then we'll take that. Th- but body, soul, and spirit, do you get it? See, that got turned upside down. So the body controls the soul, soul controls the spirit. You with me? But the soul got turned upside down too. Because the will was to control the mind, the mind was to control the emotions. See, when I'm upside down, my emotions dictate. And it's a matter of if I get angry, my ability to choose correctly goes out the window. And you're going to find out I'm angry. Jesus wants to turn this what? Right side up. That's called a righteousness, by the way.